It is a wonderful blessing to be here this evening. I hope you feel the same. I appreciate very much you choosing to use your Monday evening to be here and to worship with us and praise our God. Uh, it's our prayer this evening that the things that we study together will be uplifting and edifying and encouraging to each one of us no matter where we find ourselves in life, no matter what we consider our relationship with God to be this evening. I hope that as we open up God's word and study together, we'll find those things that are beneficial for us as we seek a good relationship with God. Tonight, we're going to talk about the door. And as you go, you'll uh, begin to understand the, the overall concept of what this sermon is, is about. But I want to take you back and ask you to use your imagination with me a little bit as we begin this sermon. And I want to take you back about 4,400 years. And this is about 2,400 years before the days of Jesus Christ. And in this time period, all of civilization would have lived in one area. This area would have been known as, or is known now as the region of Mesopotamia. And it was a very lush place to live. Great farmland, green grass, rivers running through it. I mean, it was a fantastic area. And I want you to put yourself there and pretend that you live in this time period 4,400 years ago. And imagine that you're a farmer. You've got a wife and you've got a couple of kids. And you're raising your, your cattle and you're growing your crops and you're watching your kids play and you're living life. And it's an amazing life that you live. It's a great era to raise your, to raise your kids in. It's a, a wonderful place to be able to provide for your family. Now, you're about 10 generations removed from Adam and Eve at this point. And one of the negatives to this era that you live in is that each generation, it seems, since the time of Adam and Eve, has grown a little farther away from God. In fact, you remember sitting around the campfire and hearing uh, your great-grandfather tell stories about things that he had heard his grandfather and his great-grandfather tell him about people offering sacrifices to God and coming and worshiping this one true God, but that's not really what people do nowadays. In fact, the area that you live in is a time in which people have pretty much moved past God, and there's an advantage to that. You see, because when society has moved past God, you can pretty much be anything that you wanna be, and you can do anything that you wanna do. And so you and pretty much everybody else in society in this time period is happy just doing what makes you feel good and what makes you happy. Now there's a little bit of negativity to this, and that is that you have to kinda of keep your family close and watch your back because people aren't nice, they aren't kind, and if you're not careful, someone with more money, more power, or more might than you will take what you have. But the positive of that is if you have the money or you have the wealth, you have the, the might or you have the power, you can pretty much take whatever you want. And if that other person can't stop you, it's yours. And pretty much everybody in society is in agreement that this is a fantastic way to live because you don't have to sacrifice to God. You don't have to worship God. You don't have to bend to his rules. You can do what you want and be who you wanna be. Now there's just one problem. There's this crazy old man. This crazy old man that lives right next door to you. He's, you're actually the closest to him. He's your neighbor. Lives a little bit down the way. And this old man said that God came to him and spoke to him and said that he was unhappy with society. He was unhappy with mankind today because they had become so evil, because they had become so man-focused instead of God-focused. And this old guy, he said that God told him that he was gonna send water from the sky and from the earth and that he was gonna flood everything and destroy mankind. Now you and everybody else pretty much just laugh at this guy because you've not even seen rain, and yet this guy says the whole earth is gonna be flooded and everyone's gonna die. Now you've been curious enough though to hear this guy that multiple times you've gone down 
to listen to him. And in the background of listening to him as he preaches, you notice each time you go that this man's getting a little farther along on this big giant construction project he's working on. You see, he's building a big giant boat because he really believes God is sending all of that water. And so he's building this big giant boat and he says that he's gonna take animals and anybody else that'll get in that boat with him and that he's gonna survive that flood because God has given him away. You threw rocks and mud like the rest of the crowd at him and jeered at him and called him crazy, called him a kook, called him foolish old man, and you went on your way and went back home to your crops and your cattle and your family and your lifestyle that was all focused on you. But then one day you noticed something. As you were working in your crops, you noticed across the way that there were animals that began trailing across your fields, headed towards this old man's house. And you're seeing animals you've never seen before. And some of these are very, very large beasts. And so you leave your tools and you go and you get close enough where you can kind of see what's going on and you realize that this man's big giant boat, it's finished. And now he's got all of these animals, big and small, that are surrounding him. And you remember for a moment what he said about putting animals on this boat, but you, you dismiss that and go, he's gonna get himself killed. I mean, this is just another layer of crazy on this old religious nut. And so you go back to your fields and you continue working. You go to bed that night, you tell your wife about what you saw with those animals. You sit around the campfire, you tell your friends, some of them had gone to see it as well. You're all amazed, but you just think he's crazy. You get up the next morning and you go back to work and then something else happens. You begin to feel something, drops of water that began hitting your head and your shoulders and your hands. And you're staring at your hands for a moment because you've never felt this before or seen this before. Now you've wandered under a waterfall, you've felt pouring water on your hands, but never just droplets of water from the sky. And you're amazed. And you look up in wonder and you look over at your wife who's working a few yards away and your kids who are playing over there in the distance and they're all just looking up, wondering what in the world is going on. But then those droplets of water turn into sheets of rain that begin coming down hard and begin stinging your skin and hurting and so your instinct is we've got to find shelter. And so you yell to your wife, we've got to get back to the house. And you begin to go towards the children to grab them and take them to the house. But before you even get to them, you hear, boom, off to your left. And you feel the earth shake and you see a geyser of water shoot out of the ground 100 feet into the air. And it scares you to death because it's like nothing you've ever seen before. But before you can even catch your bearings, boom, over to your right, another geyser. And the earth is shaking beneath your feet. And now you're terrified. And again, you yell to your wife, we've got to go, we've got... But then you realize something. That old religious nut down the road, he said water was going to come down from the sky and was going to come up from beneath the earth and that this whole place was going to be flooded. And all of a sudden it hits you. You know what you have to do. And so you grab your wife's hand and each of you take one of your children and you say, we've got to go. I know where we've got to be because this guy's got a boat. And if this flood really is coming, we need to be on that boat. And so you begin running as fast as you can towards your neighbor's house where you know that boat is, but it's gotten very, very dark. And that water is coming down hard and it's beginning to pull at your feet and you're sloshing through it, but you're running for all you've got. And you look behind you and you notice some of your neighbors, they're running too because they've realized the same thing, that that's where they've got to get to because they're seeing water that they've never seen before. And boom, off in the distance, another geyser, and then one behind you. But you're determined to get there. And so you and your wife and your kids, you're running with everything that you've got. And by the time you get to the valley where that boat is, you're wading in waist-deep water trying to get to it. But this man, he had built this ramp so that he could load those animals up onto this ark. And you know, if I can get to that ramp, I know there's a door at the top and we can get in. 
And so you're wading through that water, you're carrying a child on your back, you've got your wife's hand, and you wade and half walk, half swim through that water, and you make it to that ramp. And you climb up to the top, and you begin to pound on where you know that door is. You feel for the edges, but you can't find it. It's as if the door has disappeared. So you begin to pound, and you're saying, please, let me in, open the door. We're here, we want to come in. And the water's getting higher, and the rain is still hitting you, and it's stinging your skin, and it hurts. And now you're fearing seriously for your life and for the welfare of your family and you notice some of your neighbors they've gotten there too and they've climbed up on this ramp and now there's 10 or 12 of you and you're banging on where you know that door is and you're begging that man to let you in please we're here let us in but nothing happens that door remains closed well the water has gotten up high enough and it's swirling around beneath that ramp that it begins to shake and wobble and finally the beams that are holding it up break and you and everyone else on top of that ramp, you fall into the floodwaters. And at this point, you can't even touch the ground. So you're swimming. So you're reaching around in the water, trying to find your children and swim to high ground. And so you see a place there with some rocks that are up high and that you go, I, that's where I've got to get. And so you and your wife and your kids and your neighbors, you all began to swim there. But you notice some of your neighbors don't make it. They've been swept out with the waters and they're gone. But you and your family, you climb up onto those rocks and then you begin to hear it. The creaks and the groans of that big giant wooden boat beginning to move underneath those floodwaters. And you're yelling and you're screaming and you're saying, please, we're over here, let us in. We want to be safe, we believe you, we know this flood is coming. But there's no answer. And then you begin to see that boat as that water lifts it up and it begins to float away. And that water's getting higher. And you know that you're not up on high enough ground and you see another two of your neighbors fall into the floodwaters and you hold onto your wife and your kids tight and your wife is screaming and your kids are crying and all you can do is look at them and say, I'm sorry, I should have believed him. We should have gotten on when we could. I'm sorry. And then those floodwaters get up high enough. The child that your wife was holding, she loses and that child goes into the floodwaters and he's lost and your wife screams a scream you've never heard before and she lets go. And she's lost into those floodwaters too. And you're clinging to the top of that rock with your last child in your hand. And you're crying. And you're begging, please. And then the waters get too high and too fast. And you lose your grip. And you're taken by those waters into darkness. Now I want you to know the problem with that story. Was that when they got there to that boat of safety, the door was already shut. This is a true story, folks. Maybe not in all of the details that I presented. But in its essence, it's a true story. You see, Genesis chapter 6 through 9 tells a story about a man named Noah, who God did approach and say that he was going to send a flood to destroy the world. Noah was a preacher of righteousness who tried to save as many as he could, but only he, his wife, his three sons, and his three daughter-in-laws were saved, along with the animals that were on that boat. But not only is this a true story, I believe that it's a cautionary tale for us. You see, because God came to Noah and told him that there was a destruction that was coming, and then gave Noah a way of salvation, a way to get out of that destruction and to be saved. And you know, God has done the same thing for you and I today. Just as Noah faced, and the people of that day faced destruction, you and I have been warned of an impending destruction as well. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 10, or chapter 3 verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There is coming a time when everything that we see around us, this physical world, all of our possessions, our homes, our family, when all of it's going to be burned up and it's going to be destroyed. And God has not kept this a secret. It's not going to be a surprise. It will be a surprise for those that aren't prepared. 
But it's not going to be a surprise for those that will listen. Just as it wasn't a surprise for Noah, it wasn't a surprise for those that he preached to because he was warned. And we have been warned that there is coming a day when all of this is going to burn up. It's all going to be gone. And yet what happens today, unfortunately, too many times is we build our life and our purpose upon this temporal foundation. And we live for this world and the things of this world when God has clearly told us there's coming a day when it's going to be destroyed. 2 Peter 3, 5-7 says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and through the water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Did you know that by the same word which God promised that that destruction by flood was coming in that day, that same word has promised that there is a destruction coming that is of fire. Now if you'll remember the story in Genesis chapter 9, God made a promise that he would never destroy the earth again with water like he did then. And that rainbow in the clouds is that reminder to us of that covenant. But God has told us that there is a destruction coming, but it's not a destruction of water this time. It's a destruction of fire. And all of this is going to be gone, and all of it's going to be burned up. We too, like the people in that day, have rejected God through our sin. You know, that time period where Noah was preaching to those people, the scriptures describe that as an exceedingly wicked and evil time, where the thoughts and imaginations of man's heart was evil continually. And yet each of us individually, we too have rejected God. We too have sinned against him. Sin is simply us taking what God has told us to do or not to do and doing the opposite. Rebelling against him, choosing not to follow him, and all of us have done that. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it will not hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he, that he will not hear. The reality is that each one of us has committed sin before God. And I want us to think about our life and the decisions that we've made, whether it was a long time ago or it was recently. Think of a time, if you know anything about the scriptures at all, about God's law, about God's moral code, about anything that God has instructed in his word, and can you honestly look into your life and say that you have not committed sin against God, that you have never once done something opposite of his will, that you have never once rebelled against him. The reality is the scriptures teach us that all of us have committed sin, and that sin has separated us from God, so that we will not be saved without something or someone coming in between us and God to restore that relationship. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 4, Paul's writing to Timothy here and he describes this time period that we live in uh, that has existed since then, but this period of the last days. And I just want us to think about our society today and the direction that even our world and our country is headed and has been headed for a long time. As we read this passage, Paul wrote this, know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. In the time period in which Paul and Timothy wrote that, or Paul wrote that to Timothy, society looked like that. The Roman Empire looked like that. In the time period in which Noah lived, society looked like that. And in the time period that we live in, unfortunately, there's much of it that looks like that. Where people are more focused on themselves and the pleasures of this life than they are on God. That people are more interested in saying, What does man think is right and man think is good? And we're going to put that up on a pedestal and say everyone should be in agreement that what man believes is right is right. 
and it doesn't matter what God has said about it. We live in a time where a lot of people are pushing agendas where good things in the scripture are being called bad and bad things in the scripture are being called good. And it's a confusing time for a lot of people. But all of that is the result of sin. It is the result of rebellion against God and a society that is choosing to step away from that moral standard that God has set. And so we're really, in many ways, no different than the people of Noah's day. We too have rejected God and in many ways we have turned against him with our sin. And our sin has eternal consequences. Just as their sin against God resulted in their damnation and their destruction, so ours will as well. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Folks, I don't know what you believe in reality about everything that the scripture teaches tonight, but the scripture outlines two eternal destinations that all of us are headed for, one or the other. And we call them heaven or hell. And I believe firmly that the scripture is true as it talks about these two destinations and that it's, it's not just something that's in the Bible that we can scoff at and believe that, ah, God's a God of love and therefore only heaven exists and hell doesn't. You know, that's a popular message today because no one wants to focus on the bad and on the negative. But one of the things that I remind people of is that if there were no bad, if there were no negative, then the good wouldn't be so good. If everyone was headed to heaven, if everyone was headed that direction, then what would what need would there have been for Christ? What need would there be for redemption if we were all perfect and we were all gonna make it to heaven? The reason God has given us the scriptures and told us about Jesus is because of our need for it. It's because without him, we are headed down a dark road of destruction. And what determines where we head eternally is our decisions here, whether we do good or whether we do bad. And specifically, whether or not we choose to follow and submit to our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 21, verse seven and eight says, he that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There are some of us who will make it to heaven and there are others who will be condemned to hell based on the decisions that we make here. And folks, no matter how uncomfortable it is to think about, no matter how much we'd like to believe that hell doesn't exist, I'm not planning to wager my eternal soul on the hope that it doesn't exist. I believe what the scripture teaches, and I believe that there is a place of eternal destruction that is waiting for those who reject God. And so I am asking you this evening not to reject God, but to be willing to do what the people in Noah's day didn't and to listen to the warning that has been given to you in Scripture. I want you to know that God has extended salvation to you just like he did to Noah and the people of that day. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God loves us, and he loves all of us, and he wants all of us who will choose him to be saved. Every single person who will come to him, God will save. God's grace has brought salvation to all men through Jesus Christ. John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The reason Jesus Christ is so important is because he did something that none of us are able to do. He was able to live a sinless life, a life without rebellion to God, a life without disobedience to God. And the reason why that was necessary is because sin throughout man's history has always required sacrifice. And Jesus came as the Lamb of God to be a sacrifice for your sin and for mine. Jesus came and lived a perfect life and gave himself up to die on a cross at Calvary 
to take the sins of all of mankind, past, present, and future, upon himself, and to die in our stead, to take our punishment for us, so that instead of us being condemned to eternal hell, we have the opportunity to go to that eternal place we call heaven. And we do it not because of our goodness, not because of our perfection, but because of the goodness and the perfection of Jesus Christ. I want you to know this evening that Jesus is the door. He is the door to our salvation. He is the way onto the ark of safety that exists for us today. John chapter 10 verse 9 says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. You know, those people in Noah's day, though we don't have scriptural record of anyone going and climbing that ramp and banging on the door, and I have no idea if that really happened. But as we think about those people that heard Noah's words, I have a pretty good idea and opinion that those people that heard him and then were witnessing the flood around them, there had to have been some that realized we should have listened. We should have gone onto that boat and through that door when we had the chance. The reality is the same choice is presented for you tonight. There is a door that is open today and it leads onto a boat of safety, but it's not a real physical boat like in the days of Noah, but this is a spiritual ark, a spiritual boat, so to speak. We might equate that or call that the church today. You see, the church is not four walls and a roof. The church is the people that have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the people that have obeyed the gospel of Christ. And when we enter in through the door of Jesus Christ, when we accept him and we say, I want to be saved, I recognize my sin and I want to be forgiven and I want to obey the gospel of Christ. I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. And so I'm gonna repent of my sins and I'm gonna confess my belief in him and I'm gonna be baptized and have my sins washed away. We walk through that door into the church, the group of people that make up the saved. And in the church, in that group of people saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're safe. We're safe from the tempest around us. We're safe from the destruction that's coming. We're safe from the eternal destruction that awaits those who reject God because we have entered through the door of Jesus Christ into the safety that he offered. John chapter 14 and verse six, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I want you to know today that there's a lot of different opinions out there in the religious world, a lot of different teachings, a lot of different people that people place their faith in, a lot of different books people can, can read and base their life decisions on. But at the end of the story, there is only one person, one being who can really restore us to God. And that's the son of God, Jesus Christ. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And if you believe that you can make it to heaven on your own goodness, you're mistaken. You can't and I can't either. Not a one of us can because none of us are perfect. All of us have rebelled against God, but we can make it to heaven. We can have our relationship with God restored through the perfection that exists in Jesus. He is that door to our salvation tonight. And Jesus has told us how to gain entry. He's not left it up to chance. He's not left it up to discussion. He's not left it up to us to wonder. He's told us in his book how to enter into that door and be in that ark of safety today. You know what Jesus said in John chapter eight and verse 24? He said, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. We've talked about that. Dying in our sins and the destruction that's coming. But Jesus says, for if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. He says, you're all gonna die in your sins if you don't believe that I am he. He who? The son of God, the Messiah, the savior. And so the reverse is true as well. What Jesus is teaching them is that if you will believe in me, then you don't have to die in your sins. You can have salvation from them. You can be safe. 
But it's not enough just to believe in Jesus in our heart. Jesus says he wants it to be an active and outward belief that is confessed before people. He said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my father which is in heaven. But whosoever therefore shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my father which is in heaven. You know, it's real easy to say in our heart, well, I believe in Jesus. And I'm gonna say that because I definitely wanna go to heaven and I don't wanna go to hell. And so I'm gonna say in my heart that I believe in Jesus. But when I'm talking to other people, when I'm around other people, when I'm with people at work that don't believe in Christ, I'm gonna pretend like I'm just like them because I'm ashamed of it. Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. Because you know what Jesus really wants? He wants followers who from the heart are dedicated to him, who love him with their whole being, and who are willing to stand up in front of people and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Jesus says, you want to come into me and into that kingdom, that church, that ark of safety today. You've got to believe in me and you've got to be willing to confess that before people. But not only that, you've got to stop living the life of sin that you've been living. You've got to stop being man-focused and start being God-focused. That's repentance. Jesus said in Luke 13 and 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus says if you're not willing to change your life, if you're not willing to do things differently, if you're not willing to really submit to me instead of submitting to yourself, it's going to work. You're not going to be able to have entrance into that ark of safety because what God is asking of us is that true dedication from the heart that says, I want to be different. I want to change. Now, does that mean that when we come to Christ, we're going to be perfect and we're never going to make a mistake? Certainly not. Those of us who have been in Christ for a long time know the reality of that question and the answer to it. But the difference is there is one person who doesn't care and willingly continues to sin. And there is another type of person who, despite their mistakes, gets back up apologizes for it, prays for forgiveness, and makes a commitment that they're going to do everything that they can to be better in the future, to serve God with everything that they have. And when they make a mistake again or they stumble again, they're gonna get back up and they're gonna say, I'm gonna keep going because I don't wanna be that. I don't wanna live that way. I wanna live for Christ and not for me. And if we're willing to do that, Jesus says, that's part of the way that we can enter into him, into that ark of safety. But he also tells us that we need to be baptized and have our sins washed away. Mark 16, 15 and 16, he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. You know, as we think about Jesus's instruction here and his method that he has chosen to allow us into that church, that ark of safety today, I want us to consider that ultimately God is in control and he has the right to do this any way that he wants. Have discussions with people sometime where they go, well, why is baptism necessary? And we can have that, that discussion scripturally and all that, but at the end of the story, my answer is this, because that's what God chose, and it is not up to me. I could come up with lots of different ways. You could come up with lots of different ways, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I think. I can't grant you eternal life in heaven, but Jesus can. God can. And so it really doesn't matter what you or I want it to be or think it should be or what we've heard from other sources. The source we need to go to is God, is Jesus Christ. And what he has told us is that we've got to believe in him. We've got to confess that belief before people. We've got to be willing to repent, to change, and to live for him, to submit to him, and that we need to be baptized. Now, what is baptism? Well, in its simplest form, baptism is simply being dunked in water, immersed in it, and brought back up. But what happens when you do that, when you submit to God in that, and you're willing to do that, what happens 
is you go down into that water a sinner, focused on yourself, having all the sins that you've committed weighing against your eternal destination. But you go down into that water, and it's a picture of what Jesus did on the cross and in the grave. You see, Jesus died on that cross, and then he was buried in that tomb for three days. And then what happened three days later? The Spirit made him alive again, and he had new life and rose from that grave. And baptism is an image of that. It's a picture of that. As we go down into that water, our old person that's full of sin and rebellion and all of that that we have done contrary to God's will, it's destroyed, it's killed, it's done away with. The blood of Christ touches us and cleanses us and washes those sins away. And we come up out of that water like Christ came out of that tomb with new life. We are given new spiritual life. We take on his perfection, his righteousness. It's been given to us. He takes our sin and we take his righteousness. And it's a fantastic substitution. And we absolutely get the best end of that deal. And then we walk forward from that point, choosing to continue that life of repentance and service and obedience. And as long as we remain faithful to him as our Lord and our Savior, we remain in that ark of safety, protected from the destruction that's eventually coming. And it's a beautiful picture, a beautiful thing that God has designed through his son Jesus. And so tonight I want to ask you to seriously consider whether or not you have taken the steps that Jesus himself has stated that we must. And if you've noticed in these passages that we've read, we've read statements of Jesus for everyone. And there's many other passages we could turn to talk about each of these, but I'm simply going to leave you with the words that Jesus himself spoke here and ask that you consider if he is the door and he is the only way, the truth, and the life, the only way to get to the Father, then he is the only voice that you ought to be listening to when it comes to your eternal salvation. Romans chapter 6, 3 and 4 gives us that picture that we talked about just a moment ago. It says, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I want to ask you this evening as we get ready to close to seriously heed the warning that God has given. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 2 and 3 says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. You know, I said that destruction shouldn't be a surprise to those of us who pay attention to the warning, who pay attention to the word, but there will be many people who are not prepared, who are not paying attention And when they think peace and safety, when they think my life is going great, when they think I've got a great job and I've got got money in the bank and I've got all these possessions and I'm living for myself and I'm having a high and mighty time and life is great, life is good, it's all about me. And then all of the sudden, that day of the Lord is coming. And when that happens, they're gonna face the judge, the eternal judge that determines where their eternal soul goes. In the days of Noah, Matthew says that's what they were doing. For as in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the, man, the Son of Man be. For as in, the day, in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered in the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man, or so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You know what they were doing in the days of Noah? They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. They were given in marriage. They were enjoying life. Life was all about them. Life was all about thoughts of evil continually. It was all about self-focus and man-focus. And God was entirely out of the picture until God decided to destroy it all. And we unfortunately can get into that habit and that lifestyle where it is all about us and we're prioritizing ourselves and we're not prioritizing God. And brothers and sisters, folks, there is a day coming 
when Jesus is returning, there is a day coming when all of us, with a snap of a finger, it's gonna be too late and we're gonna face the judge of eternity. And when that day comes, I want to already be in the ark of safety. I don't wanna be outside it. I don't wanna have to be running towards the door and banging on it and hoping that I can get in after the fact. I wanna be in and know and confident that when that day comes, it's not gonna be a surprise to me. It's not gonna be sudden destruction that comes upon me. It's gonna be the bliss of eternal life in heaven that I'm granted. Today, tonight, you have a choice and an opportunity. Whether or not you will listen to the words of Jesus Christ, whether or not you will follow that pattern that he has outlined to walk through that open door because folks, tonight, the door is open. Jesus is knocking, he is ready, he is waiting. He wants you to choose him, to come to him, to walk through that door into safety and be given eternal life. But there is coming a day when that door it's gonna shut and it's gonna be too late. And just like those people may have banged on that door in the days of Noah and there was no way in, I believe there will be cries and screams of people who suddenly realize that they should have listened. Folks, don't let that be you. Don't let that be me. I want every single person in this building to be ready and be prepared for that day because it is coming. If you've not followed Jesus's method and his path, remember he is the only voice you need to be listening to. If, you don't believe, if you've not believed in him and confessed him, repented of your sins and been baptized, having your sins washed away, you need to make that choice tonight. Walk through that door and gain entrance into the ark of safety. If you're here and you have another need for the church, we wanna help you too. If we can assist you in any way tonight, we ask that you come forward, sit on a front row as we stand and sing.